Hi, Antonio. What was your first computer? Oh, gee, my first computer is the Commodore 64. On, with yeah. tapes. With tapes. Of I didn't course. have enough money to buy the floppy. Yeah. So I had the, the tape drive. And, uh, and then, a couple of years after, I bought, and I still remember the name, the power cartridge. So I had a Commodore 64 with 64Ks. Wait, wait a second. Now the first technical question, because you said you had the, uh, the uh, data set. Was it the original one from Commodore? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah right. What I remember right now, I started with static Spectrum, and I didn't have the original one. So what I did is I refurbished the, uh, my music set, which was a mono set, you know. And the problem is what I remember right now, there was one hat, and you had to adjust the hat with a screwdriver. Otherwise, you know, the computer <laughs> wouldn't understand the noises. So this is what you re this was the first time during the entire podcast series I remember that. So um okay. So um what you did with the computer? Of course I said you uh, know you there was no fun you just started in assembly, right? No, actually uh, <laughs> this was funny. this was joke. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, but with with the power cartridge. Uh, yeah, with but with the, the, the What is the 64? What was your first I, action with the 64? Well, that was you know the way I started computing was a bit like I, I saw the light, you know. Yeah. I was 13 years old, and with my school, uh, with, uh, with my school teacher, we went to a computing exhibition, mm -hmm. and there was these guys uh, with computers, and they asked me to type my name. So I was looking at the keyboard going, what? A-N-T-O. You know, it took me a bit of time, and then nothing happened, and he said, now press this key, and mm -hmm. it was the, you know, the enter key. And the computer said, Hello, Antonio. And I kid you not, I was amazed how this computer, how intelligent is this computer okay. to know my name. And everything started like that. Then I, I did little jobs to save a bit of money. And a few months after, I, I bought my um, Commodore 64 and I started with BASIC. So I, I, co I completely un underestimated you. So what I thought is that you started with gaming, you know? And well... I started with BASIC, yeah. but at, you know, at the time, there was a, a, a magazine, a paper magazine called Commodore 64 Mag or something like that. And can you imagine it was paper, mm -hmm. um, you know, pages of paper with thousands lines of code, of mm -hmm. BASIC code. Mm -hmm. And I spent hours, days, weeks, and months typing every month. It was a monthly newspaper. And every month I was typing thousands of lines of BASIC mm -hmm. uh, and mostly for games, you know, mm -hmm. small, small games like the snake and yeah. Pac-Man-like and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, you know, I was gaming, but I was writing uh, my games. And of course, as you can imagine, uh, after writing thousands of lines of BASIC, well, it doesn't work. So, yeah. you know, the more fun was uh, debugging. And at the time, you know, which is... Uh, I don't want to seem like an oldie here, but I am. Uh, you know, the only interface was the screen and the keyboard. And when you pressed off, that was it. You mm -hmm. know, if you didn't store it on the tape, you had lost everything forever. Mm -hmm. uh, there was no hard drive included or whatever. So, yeah, this is how I started with BASIC. And then with this power cartridge, I moved into assembly. So, so you didn't start it with uh, ready-to-use games? Like, you know, you could load from tape, I don't know, winter games or whatever. 
it was late because I had spent all my money uh, buying my computer. And, and uh, you know, at another time, going to a shop and buying a game on the tape was expensive. Yeah. So there was, and there was only a few people, uh, you know, around me with computers. So sometimes we could swap and copy mm -hmm. um, tapes. Uh, I had one friend who had drives, you know, floppies, and I was, you know, completely pissed off because I had tapes. Uh, so we couldn't exchange things. Yeah. So I, I would buy a game once in a while, but it was expensive uh, for me at the time. So I'm impressed. So this is actually what you also learn a lot, you know, just, just, just typing all the stuff from the magazine. I also tried to do that, but it never worked in my case. And, <laughs> and I had no idea how to debug the stuff. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you I I remember, you remember basic? You remember basic? A little bit. You know what REM R -E is? REM. Rem. Uh, remark. Yes. Remark. This is comment. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. I comment. thought how the how the games are working is the first time I saw basic at a simple. I thought that with the REM with the REM you have to create an ASCII art, you know. So you say you write REM and then smiley or whatever, and then I ask everyone how to get into the next page because I thought this is like the animation, you know, that I will get like like 60 frames per second. So I, I have to design everything like this, and no one understood me. It's like the, all, the, all the programmers are stupid; they, they cannot get you know the easiest thing. It's like what you would like to do? Why you need the next page? You know, this, I thought you, you you are designing the games, you know, like they is with the pixels, which are asterisks or dots or whatever, right? And The next? I could, yeah. you know, because uh, I had a few friends with the Commodores, but they were only into gaming and I was into typing code. Mm -hmm. And one good trick to impress them, uh, you know, I would go to their place and yeah. play with them on the computer. And I would say, wait, 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 wait. And I would type 10 mm -hmm. space go to 10 and ah. the computer will just loop and they will go oh, what have you done yeah and the and the only way was to switch it off yeah <laughs> now i ask you now the the pro question you, you remember ghost up yes yes this was my pro tip ghost like you, yeah this is what i learned you know this was the beginning of object orientation or <laughs> almost yeah, yeah you can yeah. jump somewhere somewhere and come back so it come back it come back so this was so then yeah. you can refactor your program you know and nothing will screw up because the line number still still works so exactly the, with with the power cartridge you had a fantastic uh, refactoring capability uh, before we start with the power cartridge what i never heard uh, about but uh, with the c64 uh, what was the most impressive basic application you wrote on it oh games games Uh, games and also I remember I impressed a lot of my friends because I developed a game uh, that was a few years after I think uh, I developed a game when I still remember uh, I I created a da uh, database you know mm -hmm. with countries and capital cities ah. and so I spent days typing all the countries and all the capital cities and um, and the computer would ask you what is the capital city of mm -hmm. and um, and that's when I started to say hey you know uh, Paris with a capital P and a lower P should be the same so I was doing you know tricks trimming and uh, lowercase and And again, I could impress my friends with that. And I would spend hours with them playing this game. You know, what is the capital city? So I think now I'm, I forgot a little bit about it, but I, I think I still know a few capital cities of unknown countries out there. Oh, perfect. So also, <laughs> I will also have to write, you know, the so so software in, with Java right now to, to, to be better with the capital cities. Do, um, do, it's yours, it's German. But uh, in the episode 80, 
with Bastian Sperhacke. This is from Otto. Uh, he did similar program as you, but he was smarter. He he has a sister, and he convinced the sister should type for him. And what? <laughs> and this was not capital city. He wrote, "Who wants to be millionaire?" You know, and all the text was written by sister, and he was just responsible for if else. <laughs> No, unfortunately, I didn't have an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> Not assistant, a sister. <laughs> this was oh, a si sister. Sorry, sister, oh, yeah, assistant. I had a sister, but I wonder if she could have typed that. Good point. <laughs> yeah, very good. Okay, um, and then the power cartridge came, which I'm really already curious what it was. What is a power cartridge? Yeah, it was a little piece of plastic that you would plug behind ah, your computer. Okay, and it will give you 60 k's of RAM extra. Okay. So, you know, I had a 64, now it's plus 16 uh, Ks. We are talking about Ks. But there was a lot of tools. And one tool was uh, you could type in, in assembly. And for, and for basic, there was, you know, different tools. And one tool that I was using all the time is um, when you write in basic, you go line number 10 and yeah. you write something and 11 and you write something and 12. And of course... 20. You have to use 10, 20, 30. Yeah. You know, this is 10, the naming convention. Yeah. And, and at the end, I was doing 100 and 200 and yeah. 300. Yeah. And with the power cartridge, it could renumber all the lines with all the go-tos. And that was fantastic. This is so incredible. I didn't have any problem anymore. I would type. And when I needed to introduce a few lines, I would go renumber. It will renumber all the go-tos and all the go-subs and all the everything. And wow. This is incredible. This is yeah, actually, right? This is like a, a, a danger, danger to for Java, right? Because now we can run basic in the cloud with automatic line. Line remembering service by Amazon, AWS. That's a cool function. Yeah. Uh, then I know what power cartridge is because uh, what I forgot about, C64 had a cartridge support, right? So you can stick. Yeah. Yep. And this was the cartridge, like a dongle. Yeah. And yep. I think there were games or whatever, and, and there was a power yeah, cartridge. Okay. Exactly. And how you learned assembly? Again, throughout the uh, throughout these um, uh, magazines, but I wonder if it was on the Commodore 64 magazine or not. But I remember, and I remember one of my first games in assembly, well, first game, was to draw a ball. Uh, I'm not going to say a 3D ball, but, you know, yeah. with a bit of shade. Yeah. And it will just bump around randomly. Throughout ah, the, this was throughout like, Ar you remember Arkanoid? This was a game with a ball. There's a wall in a ball. And uh, this was like a tennis or squash. And this was called, I think, Arkanoid or something like this. And um, yeah, this was also a nice game in C64, I remember. Uh, in assembly, I was doing little things. Uh, But know, wasn't, uh, wasn't it hard to, to know to move from basic to assembly? I mean, I think, I think it was, um, you, you know, because at the time I, uh, with basic, I was doing amazing stuff all the time. But I think assembly wasn't about doing more or better. It was trying to understand how the computer would work and you know again it was the these puzzles that de uh, developers have in their mind you know i wanted to know what was inside i wanted to know and when i understood that assembly was closer to the computer than basic um, then it was just like you know i wanted to f fix the puzzle mm -hmm. I, i wanted to know about you know the memory and 
putting stuff in the memory and popping up and popping down. And it was more about that. I could see that I wasn't as as productive uh, in assembly as basic, but it was more to know what was behind, what was inside. Uh, you know, a lot of developers, when they are young, they do Legos and then do, uh, you know, all the little mm -hmm. greedy mm -hmm. tiny things. And I think basic was that. Okay. Uh, sorry, assembly. assembly. Uh, you know, but I but, you, but you, know understood, computer works. you understood in basic pick and pokes? This would drove me crazy. The pick yeah. and poke. Yeah, I remember that I was I was doing amazing stuff with uh, pick and pokes with spritz and, and uh, okay, and, but but then you knew, but then you had to have the, like you know the the map of the memory of the of the uh, computer, right? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, th then okay, because for me it didn't make sense because what I I couldn't understand how the developers know what happens if you if you write something like five thousand comma and years later I found out you know in a book there was a book where there was the memory map. So you saw, you know, the graphic area and the sound. So, okay, this is easy. But someone has to tell you, you know, without that. Well, yeah. that was this magazine, the Commodore 64. Ah. I still remember. I still uh, remember there was, um, you know, in, in the magazine, there was this little grid. Mm -hmm. and, and you would draw, you know, mm -hmm. these little squares, compute, and that will give you, so, so you will draw, I don't know, a, a stick man. Mm -hmm. And you will compute line by line, you know, one plus two plus four plus mm -hmm. eight plus blah, mm -hmm. and you will get your your spritz. So then you will just go pick twelve comma sixty four twelve, you know, and then it will it will appear on the screen. And I hey, was cool. like, wow, much better than Java FX. Yeah. A lot better. The, the Johann Foss is still he's fiddling for years, you know, and still doesn't work like that, right? <laughs> We will have to cut it out. Rather, otherwise, I will have to do a, a podcast with him, you know, afterwards. <laughs> exactly. It was the beginning of JavaFX. No way easier to understand because, you know, pick and pokes would be um, more portable probably even. Um, <laughs> um, nice. So, uh, Power Cadre. So, this already, okay, I can imagine. So, you are actually the natural born programmer. And uh, another guest on, on, on the show, I don't, you will never know who it actually is. You know Tanya, right? Tanya Bradovic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's very like you. She, okay. start, she started okay. hacking right away. It's like, this is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I just enjoyed that. It's like, and now you're a manager. So what do you can do? <laughs> but <laughs> she's, she's, she, she hacks like crazy. Yeah, I don't... I, I, you know, when I was a kid, very young, like six, mm -hmm. eight years old, the best present that my family could give me was... <clears throat> you know, a dead TV screen or a dead radio or a dead mm -hmm. something dead. Mm -hmm. And I would spend hours with a screwdriver, with unplugging everything, all the cables. You know, I would spend hours, you know, each time my uncle mm -hmm. would come with a, a old dead TV or, mm -hmm. or radio, I would spend hours and days unscrewing everything, cleaning everything, hoping it will work again. But it never worked, or right? Obviously, or, no. of hey, uh, is, it, is, it, is it still uh, still the case? Because my basement <laughs> is full of electronic... If I will we meet again in Paris, I will come with the car the first time. <laughs> you know, uh, th 30 years have passed, and, yeah. and now when people look at me with all my Macs, iMac, Pro and Mac and and each time someone says, "Oh, can you help me on Linux or can you help me on Windows?" I know, no, exactly. They just no. I, you know, I think I went from unscrewing radios to building my Linux machines to I don't want to do that anymore. I use you know I use a Mac. 
Yeah. And if it doesn't work, well, I take it to the Apple store. Yeah. And they also have no idea what to do, and they, they forward it you know, to, to, to uh, the, the only hacker at, at Apple, probably. They give you a brand new one. Okay. Nice. So we spent some time, you know, with the power cartridge. What happened after power cartridge? Well, then I went to um, I went to uni um, uh, doing an IT uh, degree. So, um, you know, uh, in France, you go f uh, what we call high school mm -hmm. um, uh, and then college. Well, um, and I was doing math, you know, like a lot mm -hmm. of people maybe. And then very, very uh, quickly, I went to IT. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think I was, so at the time I had a 486. I went to a 386, 486. I was doing uh, Pascal. I was doing stuff like that. Um, I think the first years of uni were a bit disappointing because uh, we were doing algorithms and stuff like that, um, algebra and I think I already knew that uh, throughout the years. So I was a bit disappointing. The first years at, at uni, we were not doing gamings. We were doing <laughs> algorithms. And I was, wow, you know, I've seen that before. Um, and at the end of my, of my uh, master, um, I, I actually had some fun uh, doing um, a transpiler in Prologue. So my university... Um, was the creator of a language that you've never heard of. It's called uh, Modulog, which was a mix of Prologue and Modula. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a French uni who thought they had invented a great uh, language called Modulog. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the, we were doing a lot of Prologue, uh, so a lo uh, logical pro uh, programming. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to move as many... Um, uh, lines of code in Prolog to Modulog. So I actually created a transpiler from Prolog to Modulog, two useless languages, but I had a lot of fun. Which, in so which programming language you wrote? Prolog. In Prolog. So okay. the, it, it was written in Prolog and I was uh, transpiling Prolog lines of code into Modulog and that was a lot of fun. Actually, so, I wanted to learn Prolog because uh, my impression was back then that it has something to do with AI. I was fascinated by AI. And Prolog was like the beginning of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, once you once you write your um, all your, you know, assertions and everything, you could ask questions. You know, I still remember the very first exercise uh, in Prolog that we had to write. It was a unicorn and a lion. And uh, I don't have the things right, but, you know, the unicorn lies on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Okay. The lion lies on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Everybody tells the truth on the other days. When you ask the lion, what's the day today? The lion answers, it's Thursday. You know, it was something like that. Okay. And it was... How am I going to solve that? You know, of course, it's not if 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 it's Monday and the unicorn lights and the. So it was a fantastic. You know, it was completely different from what I'd seen with Basic and Pascal and all the other languages. So Prolog was a bit of fresh air, completely new. Of course, I only did that one year. Then I never used Prolog in my entire life. But this is very similar to Drools, right? You know, Drools from JBoss. Like yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, so, incredible. So your progression from languages was you started with uh, basic, 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 assembly, then assembly, was, uh, and then Prolog. Pascal, 
Pascal. Pa okay. uh, Pascal, a lot of Pascal. I actually did a bit of COBOL, believe it or not, mm -hmm. uh, to show you how old I am. And um, what and did it impressive with Pascal? Pascal, I think, was between your school and university, right? Something yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was Pascal? a tuning. Yeah, it was. It's funny. It doesn't. Okay. I think. I think. You know, I started with basic, so it's it's strong in my uh, in my memory. Mm -hmm. And Pascal was at uni, and as I told you, at the uni at the beginning, it was a bit boring. I didn't yeah. I didn't yeah. enjoy it much. And I finished with Prologue, which was a bit of hoo ha. I even remember doing a bit of Ada. Yeah. Uh, but that was it. Okay. And then I started to work with C and C. After university? Yeah. 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 Because I was doing, of course, you know, at uni, you always do a bit of C and C. Yeah. And my very first job was um, in C. What you did there? It was interesting. It was quite interesting. Uh, it was a bit of a magic thing because I was working for a big telecommunication company mm -hmm. and it was actually uh, programming the ships of the um, of your of your SIM card. Okay. So it was quite interesting because we were uh, we had to read the specifications of the ship. And then the business will tell you, well, now, uh, you know, on my ship, I want a chip. I want to store uh, contact numbers, names and uh, and phone numbers. You know, again, it was a time when there was no cloud, no Internet. So you would store your contact names on your on the chip of your of your phone rather than on the phone itself and stuff like that. So it was quite interesting because we were using two kind of chips. Um um, Gem Plus, and which is a French company, and there's this German company um, who was doing ships at the time. I uh, forgot. Infineon. Uh, no. Um, okay. Schlumberger, Schlumberger, I think. Okay. Oh. But it's just it's, it's well, anyway. Okay. And um, so mm -hmm. we had two chips, mm -hmm. two different chips, and we had to read the specifications and program them um, so they could. Then, so we will develop the software, and then this software in C++ would be stored in the chips by the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So it was quite interesting because on my desk, I had plenty of chips readers and chip writers, and I was programming in C++ with my team, and we will, you know, burn the chip, uh, see if it works. And I think it was kind of a you know, read mostly kind of thing. So if you write too many times, then the chip will be dead. So we had thousands of chips on our desks, and 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 you know, again, it was kind of fun. And I think it yeah, was it was fun. It, it, it reminds me of your know C sixty four work. I mean, with you yeah. know, with the sprites and power cartridge. I mean, this is very very similar, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, to be honest, it was the last fun job I've ever done. And oh. since then, and since then, my job, my day to day life is. Um, taking data from a database, doing if then else, and putting data back into the database. And I think that's that's mostly what I've done throughout my life. And you don't you know, enjoy each... enjoying this in, anymore? Yes. You oh, enjoy yes, it. I do. Yeah, you know, each time uh, you give a talk, Adam, I love you because you you always say, sorry, I don't work for sexy customers like Twitter, Google, yeah. or yeah. Amazon. I work for boring customers. I yeah. say, I work for boring customers, but hey, I quite enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, but what I enjoy is simplify things, you know. So if I impress my clients how simple and productive this is, this is where fun starts. 
because I think you're doing complex stuff is not a big deal. Also, we know we, I can learn your books <laughs> and just apply whatever I see. And then in, in a shortest amount of time, it's going crazy complicated. But um, first of all, right now, I have uh, uh, building a proof of concept with Kafka, Quarkus, and a little bit of SSE. And what I try to do, even simpler than the tutorials are, right? Because the, 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 the Quarkus tutorials, the official ones, are not always the simplest. So, okay, how to make it more straight? With less dependency in Quarkus, you know me, right? With more, you know, micro-profile stuff and API, and it, it works actually, and this is what I enjoy. It doesn't have to be, you know, crazy use case. It can be a very simple use case and, and solved in, in a nice way. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in our industry, there's um, half of the people who hate annotations and the other half who love annotations. I am part of the guys who love annotations because, you know, as you say, I have a a class, I put one one annotation and it works thanks to the magic behind. Um, so like you, the, the, the more simple code, uh, the better. Okay, what happened after the, 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 the only fun job with burning, you know, 100s of SIM chips? Um, what happens after that? <laughs> then um, I moved to uh, a Europe car you know, the, the rent, the rent car company. And um, that's when I discovered Java and that's when I discovered web, uh, web logic. Uh, so we are back in 98 now. Uh, uh, so from C, C++, I discovered uh, Java in 97, 98. Mm -hmm. And at Europe car, there was this huge Java project. Mm -hmm. And at the time there was not a lot of people doing Java and you know, I'm in France, and you might not know, but France had an amazing piece of tool called the Minitel, which was hundreds of years before the internet. So okay. France had these little computers that every French person had at home, and you could surf the French web. Uh, huh. It wasn't free. It wasn't free. It was expensive. Um, it was, you know, characters only, so mm -hmm. there was no. But uh, there was from the from the eighties. So so the the planet had nothing, and France had this thing called the Minitel from the eighties. It was I think huge. Germany had the same. It was called BTX. It was. We, was it, was it compatible? Because this uh, BTX, you could have, uh, I remember at the very beginning, I had two modes with the telecom, you know, the internet mode or the BTX mode. And with the BTX, you could even with ASCII characters, you know, uh, interact with your bank and, and do stuff. And very similar exactly. to that, what I remember was teletext. Teletext was yep. a, a television set read-only, but you get additional information in your television where you can look up, you know, information. This was actually fun. I really enjoyed the teletext. I was completely fascinated by it. But uh, this BTX was later. It was 1998. Uh, this is how I got the access to it because I got the modem, right? But I had no idea about Minitel. So this was like... So the Minitel, is actually, it's exactly what uh, you say. You would go into this little box, open mm -hmm. it, type a phone number. Mm -hmm. It will hook into your bank account mm -hmm. and you will just type. You know, there was no mouse. There was no, no, nothing. Um so just to say that the Minitel was huge in France, huge. You could you, you could buy a train ticket. You, you could see the timetable of your flights. You know, we are back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, huge, huge, huge. The problem was when the internet arrived throughout the planet in the 90s, France said, bof, it will never work. You know, the Minitel is the future. So... 
the planet was slowly uh, moving into the internet and France was still locked into the Minitel. And so I was doing a Minitel stuff, uh, you know, uh, before. And then, and when I arrived at Europe Car in 98, it was to do Java. It was to do web, web logic. It was to do JSPs to go on the internet. And mm -hmm. it was one of the f very first companies in France because mm -hmm. all the other companies were still doing and uh, mm -hmm. developing huge systems mm -hmm. on the Minitel. So that's when I discovered uh, Java and WebLogic and Java EE in 97, 98. And in 99, when this project finished, we were online on the internet doing Java web, web logic. I came back to, you know, looking for job opportunities. And that was the famous bug of 2000 coming. Oh, France mm -hmm. was still hooked in the Minitel. Um, and the only thing I could find was C and C++ jobs on the Minitel platform in 99. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't want to do it anymore. Okay. And that's when I packed everything, left Paris, moved to London, where I lived for two years, and worked for a company called BA Systems. Wow. So I didn't that's that. when I did. So that's when I worked for two for two for two years for BA Systems on WebLogic. I arrived. It was WebLogic three, and when I left the company, it was WebLogic six. But you still know what Tenga means, right? Yes, Tenga <laughs> was the yeah, and oh, and the other name was. Um, I want to know Tenga. Oh no no no! There was another uh, BA bought um, a transactional. Ah, thing. tuxedo, tuxedo. Yeah, tuxedo. Yeah, thank you. But uh, the Tenga was the first name of the uh, web logic, yeah. and this yeah. was. Uh, and you know why? What it means? Oh no, no! This is the neighbor island of Java. What I remember. Oh, yeah. See, there's some meta guys, going on. Yeah, clever guys. guys. <laughs> So um, I really liked WebLogic. I just used WebLogic. I, I was always freelancer, so I never worked for, for, for a company. But um, WebLogic, I used it a lot. And uh, it was really easy to use and very fast. What I really enjoyed, the startup time and, and the developer experience, it was best and, uh, until, you know, BA8. After this, it just w w get worse and got worse and worse. But until 8, it was just incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to think that in 2001, 2002, I left the company in 2002. Why? Uh, with, with WebLogic 6. You really want me to tell you? No, you can paraphrase if there's no <laughs> political reasons or whatever. Or... Oh, no. Personal reasons. I okay. just, after London, after BA, I just uh, moved to South America and traveled South America for nearly one year back then. Nice. Just, just doing IT, just enjoying. But this was the best decision ever, right? Oh, yes. It was, you know, I was 30-something. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I finished studying. Uh, I was in uni. Let's back, back, backpack with a friend and, and tour the world. No, no, no. I had already worked for more, for more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. I knew um, what, uh, what it meant. And uh, I was 30-something I was when I, I was tired i was physically tired um in london because uh, the city was big the commuting was a uh, you know web logic was doing great we were working like dogs and after two years i was physically tired and i went to see my manager and said guys it is fantastic i love you all but uh, i've decided to move on and before going coming back to france i took a one year off uh, and i just sold my stock options at BA and took the money and backpacked 
bought a guitar and I was touring South America. So cool. I, that, uh, that wasn't IT, you know, oriented at all. Was, was something interesting happened? So one one incredible story from, from one year. Can you share with us? Oh, I I think so. I um, I arrived in Brazil because I had some friends, and then I went down Uruguay, Paraguay, Argentina, and then went up um, Colombia. Uh, sorry, uh, Bolivia and Peru, and I okay. stopped there. I, I, I didn't go north. Um, I think because of Brazil, I'm Portuguese, so I speak the language. I had some friends there, uh, so I stayed there a few months. Um, and what I, yeah, the experience I had was I was back from Europe. I had some money. Mm -hmm. I rented a flat by the beach. You know, I was having a great life. And after a few weeks, I just got bored of doing nothing and lying on the beach and having coconut milk. Um, so I started to work on a NGO for a favela. Uh, I was digging wells, believe it or not. There was this huge field. Mm -hmm. The the project was to plant uh, vegetables okay. for this uh, yeah. favela with five 5,000 families. So that's roughly 20,000 people. And there was this huge field, and the NGO plan was to plant uh, uh, vegetables so so the village could have a bit of food for free. Mm -hmm. uh, so believe it or not, I was there in the mud. Mm -hmm. It was a huge field and uh, we had to irrigate it. So people said, well, then we have to dig some wells to have water. And I was, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. How? But just dig a hole on the ground. <laughs> and I spent months, you know, <laughs> we had no technology. So it was basically, maybe there's some water over there. Mm -hmm. And we would dig for a couple of weeks. And after five five meters deep, mm -hmm. no, there is not. Let's mm -hmm. move on to another place. Okay. <laughs> it was crazy. It was, it was mad. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed it because I spent fantastic moments with all those people. Mm -hmm. uh, it was tough. Uh, we were talking about a favela uh, th th 30Ks out of the city mm -hmm. um, with families who barely knew how to read and write, with kids selling drugs, getting killed once in a while. An old tough life, uh, tough life. It's, it's mm -hmm. not like that in Europe, nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was great to spend moments with all those people playing cards, drinking, talking crap and living life you know I just uh, and it was a fantastic moment throughout my journey i met a lot of people fantastic places but i think that was a, in a human scale uh, that was fantastic because i had time i stayed there for months uh, so i knew people i would arrive in in the morning in the favela say hello to everybody and then at night i would go to my fantastic flat in front of the beach, you know? So I had these okay. two lives. Uh, I had these two lives and um, yeah, that was a great moment. But it's also uh, probably also good for your fitness, right? Doing something outside. So, I mean, this is like right now, you know, this was the Apple Health predecessor, right? So right now you have to pay money and you got it completely for free. Oh yeah. That, and, you, know, uh, you know how to motivate your children, right? So if you are good at school, 
and you're good at the university. If you learn multiple programming language, are able to write a transpiler, you know, and be a top tier consultant for, for, for a company in London financial, then one day, maybe, yeah, right? You will be able in Brazil to dig some holes in the mud, right? It's funny because I have a few photos. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank, thank God I have a few photos of me there. And each time I show that to my daughter, she goes, Ah, look, you're full of mud. And I yeah. Say, yeah, I'm digging a hole. <laughs> so she's not impressed. You know, she wants to go to uni, but not to end up in a muddy wall. But, but maybe she can get, you know, a virtual mud in, in, in Fortnite or somewhere. But you have to pay for it, sad. you know, for all the, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. So you came back from your journey. What happened then? Back to Paris? Then I came back to Paris and, um, and then I went... I don't want to do C++ and Minitel anymore because mm -hmm. we are in 2002 mm -hmm. and France still is still hoping that the Minitel will take Oh, well. okay. No. You know, that, that was mad. It was a bit of a mad time. France, France arrived late uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in the internet mm -hmm. because of the Minitel. Uh, so in 2002-03, I came back in 2003 from South America. I was... Well, where is Java? Where is the internet? So I struggled a little bit. But then I, you know... Since uh, basically since '98, Euro, mm -hmm. uh, Europe car and then London and back from Paris, I've been doing Java and a lot of Java EE and and a lot of internet. Now, of course, here we are in Paris, 2020. Well, 2021. Uh, everybody is doing Java and everybody's on the internet. But tw 20 years ago, it was still a challenge because France had this idea that the Minitel will rule the world. But mm -hmm. Um, I think it was a little bit later, and I guess 2006 or seven. I was in the project in Hamburg, and you wrote already the Glassfish book, I think. Yeah. So this was 2005 or six or something like this, right? I yeah, the two, 2007 because my first book Java EE5 was written only in French. Okay. And and then I I got approached by A Press, and I wrote the Java EE6 with Glassfish book, and that was 2007. Okay, yeah. it was 2007, and in the project there was a female developer, and uh, she, she was great. And uh, I wanted to, uh, they struggled a little bit with Glassfish, and I, I told her, okay, there is a great book, just you have to buy it. So who wrote that? I said, yeah, Antonio. So she, Antonio, is the great, is this the, the guy with the great hair? I say yes. She immediately bought it, you know. So just, just, just telling you, know, you were very famous. I said, Antonio, is this the guy, the guy with the great hair? I was like, yeah, I believe so. And so, okay, then, then we buy it. She was. And at the time in 2007, uh, you know, I wasn't doing a lot of conferences. My very first conference was 2006 at DevOps Belgium for a fantastic, great framework called JUnit4. <laughs> yeah, uh, know, was... wait a sec. So between your uh, uh, coming back from 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 Brazil or from South America to to 2006, what you did then? So you spent your time on d different projects. So you were freelancer, yeah, but always around web logic. With the experience that I had, ah, okay, mm -hmm. uh, I was doing a lot of web logic. Uh, web logic got acquired by Oracle, so there was web logic and glassfish as you said you know uh, i left ba with web logic 6 mm -hmm. then w when i came back into working i was still using a little bit of web logic 6 mm -hmm. 7 and then these things started to be bloated and, yeah exactly you know and, and and then glassfish arrived and i thought 
wait a second, you know, I've been doing web logic, but no, I was doing Java EE. Yeah. So now I can take my skills and move to a much faster, simpler platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I join you each time you do a talk and you said, look, you know, you don't have to lose your entire skill set and do something completely different. And for me, moving from WebLogic to Glassfish was was easy. And um, so I started to go into the conferences, uh, DevOps Belgium. I did a few talks uh, on Java, Java Framework, Java EE, blah, blah, blah. Um, In 2005, uh, I wrote this book uh, on Java EE5. It was already with Glassfish. Oh, now I forgot. I have my book here, but I forgot. Um, and yeah, Java EE6 with Glassfish. So in 2007, I was already a little bit involved in giving some talks. Uh, I was still doing a lot of Java EE, a little bit of uh, web logic at work, more and more Glassfish. And that's how, you know, then J, JBoss, etc., etc. So you did Java E because you believe in it or you like that, right? So I yeah, I liked it because always remember the time uh uh two, 2002 uh, to be honest as an internal of BA uh, we were looking at JBoss and mm-hmm. laughing. You know, what in 2002 JBoss was nothing mm-hmm. open source mm-hmm. open source means no money yeah. but you know we were laughing at ba mm-hmm. what is that mm-hmm. uh, so java ee the open source was you know this is a common language uh, i can build my skills on this platform most of the platform by 2006 7 8 was becoming more and more open source mm-hmm. so it was a hey, I have a language that is portable. I have a platform that is portable. And and most of the runtimes are open source. Mm -hmm. What else? You know, Mm -hmm. we are in 2007, 8, 9, 10. Uh, So I I really thought Java and Java EE being the Esperanto of the of the Java toolkits, you know. Yeah, it's, it's look still, at this still, fantastic language. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still, still, look at this fantastic are. language runs everywhere. Look at this platform runs everywhere. Look at the runtimes. Most of them are open source and free. Let's do a career, out, you know, out of it. And as you say, it's it's still the case you now. Yeah, I think we met the first time at Java One. It had, then it was probably two thousand eight or two thousand nine, yeah. and and we were moving to the there was like uh, I don't know an event. Uh, and we were with Alexei Pushkin, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, on on the boat or somewhere, so I remember. <clears throat> and uh, Salito, right? Or uh, yeah, so Salito. Uh, okay. Yeah, on the other side of the yeah, bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. correct. So yeah. I met you the f- very first time, and I, and and I was always curious what I actually did. This is why I do the podcast because you know you you you, you, you I know you for ten years or twelve years, but I only know you that you wrote the book. And you somehow know Java E very well, but know what's your history, right? And this is always fun. So this is why you know uh, I do the podcast because uh, first we don't have to prepare, and and then I, I learn actually what you did and know you better, right? By the way, you could enjoy the podcast with Mark Flurry. You know Mark Flurry? He created JBoss. I asked I all the Mark. questions, you know, and he uh, he applied at at BA. So you have yeah. to listen to it. And uh, yeah. this is the yeah. episode 98, how JBoss happened with Mark Flurry. So if you like, listen, Mark Flurry, I completely have different opinion after after recording podcast with him. Uh, he is incredibly good in physics. So you have to listen to it. So this oh, is, yeah. I have a I have an interesting uh, story with Mark Flurry. Because, uh, tell um, me the story. Uh-huh. I, uh, because I created the Paris Java user group where yeah. you came. 
yeah. a few years ago to give a talk. And it was our third anniversary or the second anniversary, I think. And um, Sasha was creating CloudBees. It was the very yeah. beginning of CloudBees. And I contacted Sasha and said, hey, do you want to come to our, to our keynote? Mm -hmm. We are talking about the... Uh, anniversary of the Paris Java user group, we, we are talking about five, 500 people mm -hmm. for the entire evening. So do you want to come and give the keynote and then we have mm -hmm. uh, technical content? So Sasha said, yes, I'm coming. And a week or two before, he said, well, Antonio, I, I don't want to spoil, but I might be coming with a guest. And I was, okay, who is that guest? And one or two days before, Sasha sent me an email saying, okay, don't spoil it, but I'm coming um, with Mark because, um, you know, he lives in Spain mm -hmm. and, and he agrees to come uh, with me on stage. So I'm giving the keynote, but then he will come on stage. And and so the, uh, the, the anniversary of the Paris Jug, we were in this amphitheater. Um, Sasha gave a keynote. Then Mark came, mm -hmm. and there was a question and answer. Then we had the entire um, entire talks. Then at 11 p.m., we hired a fantastic bus with lights and music, and we took all the speakers, including Sasha and Mark, and we went to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. We had great food, a lot of drinks, a lot a lot of talks, and believe it or not, at four o'clock in the morning, I'm here outside in the streets. Mark is smoking. I'm a non-smoker. And we are at four o'clock in the morning in the streets of Paris after food, talks, drinks, talking. And that's when I realized that this guy was just a little Joe, you know. But for me, Mark was a, a, a god, you know. Mm -hmm. the, the, a, 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 and he was so easy to talk to. And yeah. He was, such a friendly person and yeah exactly really, exactly really. because he was uh, uh he joined the task forces you know uh, i mean uh special forces so he was in the military oh i didn't know that okay. yeah i knew okay. i knew that because uh, i read uh, way back you know some, some something about him and i had and she she uh he looks really uh, fit so um so I thought, you know, he would complete different kind of a person, but he's really nice. So this is what really, you have to listen to the podcast. It's really fun. Because what I did at the end, I explained, you know, the newest features of Whitefly and Quarkus, and he was amazed. <laughs> and I said, hey, Mark, what do you have to do? Uh, you, have to, you have to file some bugs, you know, in Quarkus and, and Whitefly and, see, and, and watch the reaction of the developers, you know. It's like, yeah, this yeah, is what I will do, right? Yeah, this will a, be PR, a PR yeah. on Quarkus sent by Mark Flurry. Yeah, that everything so doesn't cool. work. You have to do it this way, right? So this would be nice. Okay, great. So you wrote the book and the book was successful, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at the time, um, for for an IT book, yeah, it was, uh, was successful. Uh, and then I wrote, you know, so Java EE5 was the first one in, in French, then Java EE6 in English by A-Press, and then I updated with Java EE7 in English. Mm -hmm. We are in 2013. Mm -hmm. And um, each time I finish writing a book, I tell myself, no way, I will mm -hmm. never, ever write a book again. Mm -hmm. But this time it was true because um, with A-Press, we had a little bit of a dilemma. I, I wrote a blog about it at the time. Um, it, it is another story. Uh, you know, I love computers, but I have to be honest, I'm, I'm not a nerd. I'm more a geek. I love humans mm -hmm. as the humanity, uh, mm -hmm. human beings good or bad, you know, it's mm -hmm. what we are anyway. And um, I have a fantastic human story that um, I received one day an email from a, 
unknown student in Iran. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy writes fantastic English, and his email that I I copy past with his uh, you know authorization on my blog was uh, basically, "Hello, sir, I live in a country where I can't get your book, so I download it illegally, and because of that, I want to pay you back by reviewing." your future book and i was like wow you know i received this email out of the blue from iran mm -hmm. a student in it in a university of iran mm -hmm. and then starts this amazing story with this guy called yunus um he, you know i send him chapters from my book mm -hmm. he reviews with incredible detail uh, his English is perfect, much better than mine. He, he takes my code and said, you, you should do this, you should do that. And then comes this virtual friendship mm -hmm. from me writing Java EE7, sending each time a chapter to this unknown student in Iran who sends me back, you know, all these details. And I improve my book thanks to him. And um, so... You know, before starting Java, uh, uh, before printing the book Java E7, I wrote an acknowledgement uh, on my book saying, thanks to everybody, you know, my mom, my, my kids, blah, blah, blah. And thanks, Eunice. Mm -hmm. And I explained the story of Eunice. Believe it or not, it's, it's on my blog. Um, when I received a month later the paper book, Mm -hmm. uh, my Java E7 paper book, the page on Eunice is not there. Mm -hmm. So I sent an email back saying, why, why, mm -hmm. what happened to this page? And APRES tells me, well, the student is from Iran mm -hmm. and the United States bans everything related to Iran. I was shocked. I was in tears. But uh, may, may, maybe um, APRES was not allowed to... to yeah. Oh, yes, of course. But of this course. was not the fault of APRES, right? Oh, I no, guess. of course, of course. It's the United States of America who said, you know, we don't want to do anything with, with Iran. And, of course, APRES yeah. follows the rules. And yeah. I understand it per yeah. perfectly. That's when I said, okay, now if I write another book, I will publish it myself, which I've been doing. Now I tell uh, you another story. Uh, it's very similar to yours. Um, I had uh, a contract with a very famous uh, publisher uh, to write another book about uh, Java E, I guess, or patents or whatever. It was actually this word in my green book is really world Java E patents. It was uh, the idea was to write for them. And I wrote the first chapter and, and the feedback was <clears throat> basically scrap, which um, may, could be right. So this was more or less. And this is uh, uh, wrong. And I say why, and the and the uh, explanation was uh, they know that EJB came before applets, and I said this is impossible. I, I was completely confused because I really admire the publisher. You know, this is a you also uh, this is not a press. It is uh, everyone knows the publisher, right? And um, and I say okay, but it's impossible. I said yeah, uh, the, the 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 editor was in a secret meeting at Sun, and they talked about EJBs before applets. And I say maybe, but I really, I have no such, such secret knowledge. I mean, I, I even, I, I mean, for me, it is not understandable, right? And then they cancelled the contract. And then it turned out uh, back then he was forced to cancel the contracts which, about Java books because they were out of fashion. 
Then I said, oh. okay, but this was the way how they canceled me, you know. So, oh, uh, and then okay. I then then I understood because I really admired or still admire the publisher. Actually, today I bought eight books from them. So um, I still, <laughs> I, I, I mean, still admire yeah, them. You know, I I get the eight books from them, but um, yeah, I still like them. So. <clears throat> It's always a single person story, you know, it's not like the fault of the entire company. So you have to. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, then I went to uh, uh, several publishers and they laughed at me. So Java, no one does Java anymore. So this was a strange period, you know, and I said, OK, then I will write the book by myself because I believed. And this was the best selling book ever. This is the green book, real world Java e-patterns. And I wrote it in my way. I hired a, I hired an editor in the USA. So they, uh, they edited everything for me. And, uh, and I got so many responses and, uh, um, actually positive, right? Everything was positive. And, and, and now see what happens after one year, the book was incredible, popular, uh, self-published, self-published book. I got emails from the same people, whether they could republish the book again. <laughs> and I say, what I can tell, I mean, this is impossible. I, I, I tell the first guy, I don't know what they remember. You said, this is crap. This is exactly the same text. Yeah, but now, you know, it's, it's changed, you know, times change. We, we would like to republish this. Then I got subsequent requests from another publisher where I also said um, they would really like to work with me. And I always, you know, send the old email. Sorry, but I learned something, you know, this is, uh, and, um, and uh, so I had, very very similar experiences and uh the problem i have uh it is not very predictable you know so would, if i write something for myself i know i can publish it immediately if i write something for for a publisher i really don't know what happens right whether they they uh, and 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 this is too much stress i would say and and this is a less fun right but it's interesting because i this story really really pissed me off i wrote a blog about it yeah i saw that um, right and uh, and it's you actually that you you know indirectly uh, i remember we talked about it uh at the CERN, i think uh, when we met or maybe before but i asked you a few questions about self self uh, publishing so it's really when i saw you with your book being mm -hmm. self published that i went hey why not mm -hmm. and it's funny because uh, i met vlad a couple of years ago in mm -hmm. paris and we, we had a little chat and he said it's thanks to me and my post that he also self-published. So uh, oh. there was, I, I think you you triggered a big chain of self-publishing. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually incredible. So, <laughs> and this was just a you know, like, okay, then I, I just would like to have fun. Let's have fun. I would do it by myself. And I learned a lot, you know, and, and small things. I, I was not sure whether I'm allowed, you know, to use a particular font, for instance, right? Legally. So this is a huge story. So, okay, then I bought one. So I, 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 I called Adobe. So I, can I use your fonts? We are not sure. Can I buy one for a book? Sure. So they give me one and I bought for 300 euros a font. And now this is a special font belongs to me on a book. So problem solved, you know? So this was like, um, yeah. The Adam Bian font. <laughs> yeah, no, I forgot, but it's, I still use it sometimes, so it, it just can, yeah, but it's great, you know, so the lightweight, the lightweight font. Okay, incredible. So you started with uh, Java E, and then you told me you just do Spring, right? Yeah, yeah, I think, as you know, Java E8 wasn't great. Mm -hmm. uh, Java was not? E was, was not great? or wasn't great. It wasn't a very great story, you know, it was... The moving from Java EE7 to Java EE8, 
I was in the expert group. There was nothing happening. Oh, this, no yeah. major, no yeah. major updates. You know, Oracle had taken over. Didn't know what to do mm -hmm. with Java EE. Mm -hmm. So there was a bit years. You know, we were more talking about licensing and yeah. lawyers and yeah, yeah. stuff. It was boring. You know, yeah. and except for JBoss. Um, but even J, uh, JBoss EAP, when you compare with Thorntail, uh, it was also a bit heavy, of course, and nothing compared with WebLogic or WebSphere today. So I think I, I just got delusionized. You know, I like, I put a lot of energy. I was mm -hmm. part of the expert groups for many, many years on my spare time mm -hmm. uh, as an individual. So, uh, and I think the Java EE8 drama was a bit. I thought I'm I'm getting out of here, so I I left all the Java EE J J C P stuff. Uh, wait a second, day, you were an individual contributor. How you did it? Because I also tried to contribute, but it, for me it was even impossible to read all the emails. It was incredible. Some people wrote emails. They were like, no, two pages long. And, and, and for me, it was like, okay, I, I just cannot keep up. So if I would dedicate, you know, two hours of my time per day, it was still not enough to read the entire thing and contribute back. So how you did it, actually? I think, well, um, the very first time I got involved in Java EE6, mm -hmm. the spec lead was uh, Roberto Cininci, yeah. who died recently. Mm -hmm. uh, and... I think it was my best time in Java EE. Okay. Uh, Ro Roberto was a fantastic spec leader. Um, you know, there was a lot of information, but not too much. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was on one spec, Java EE6. Okay. And then I thought it was so easy that I went, yes, let's go to Java EE7, EJB 3.1, yeah. and JPA2. Mm -hmm. And I was there, you know, I can do it. And how... I could handle it, it was by dropping J, uh, JPA. As you say, I was receiving too many emails. The JPA, Gavin King, was still involved. He was mm -hmm. sending emails 10 pages long on the Criteria API. And so I had to drop uh, yeah. J, uh, JPA. So if you read the JPA 2 specs, you see my name. I, I only stayed a few weeks and I sent an email to the spec lead saying, oops, sorry, I can't handle the load. So I was on Java mm -hmm. EE7 okay. and EJB. Mm -hmm. And then Java EE8 and Java EE8 was the total you know, opposite. I think in one year, we received two emails. Okay. It was re uh, really the end of the... Um, re-end of the Java enterprise platform on Oracle. That's interesting, about because I have complete different perception. For me, it was uh, I was completely not interested in Java 8, say because Java 7 and Java 6 are good enough, and I couldn't believe, regardless what happens. And, and even now, let's assume, you know, the brightest people from all industry will try to improve Java 6. I don't think you can improve it that much. What you can do, you can add, you know, maybe some, but what you can do? Right, I mean, it's really hard to. You could what you could do unify everything, you know, make it a little bit more. This, but this is not like invention. This is refactoring. So refactoring, that there, was... there are small things which you can refactor, but, I, but but refactoring is always boring. At the end of the day, you know, you get producers from CDI and producers from JaxRS named differently, maybe, but this is not like huge innovation or productivity boost. It's just a small improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So it will remain boring. And this is even more boring than it was in Java 8. So what you could do, of course, maybe add, you know, like communication RPC protocol with JRPC or something like that, which, which standardized the stuff, maybe like uh, no Corba, but more modern, something like this. 
we have um, but this is not a lot to do right the problem is everything is invented i think uh, um, in the Java EE landscape, Java EE eight, and I remember I was part of the I was part of the the CDI expert group, mm-hmm. um, and I was talking a lot with Antoine Sabot Durand, who was mm-hmm. the spec lead, lives next to me. So we had a lot of lunches and and brainstorms, and that's when I, re- I realized that the politics uh, were much stronger than the technical aspect in Java EE eight, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. as you say, Java EE eight is good enough uh, you know of course we can add more things but it's different you know it's side by side not yeah um, so the micro profile there's new specifications coming mm-hmm. you know along mm-hmm. um, so the idea was part of the expert group was exactly what you say it was uh, a refactor mm-hmm. uh, java ee8 what if Everything in Java EE is a CDI extension. Mm-hmm. What if, like Quarkus uh, today, what if the Java EE core is a thin layer and you can put plug-and-play J- JPA or servlets or EJBs? So there was this idea of uniforming the platform, saying that uh, CDI was uh, uh, mandatory for all the specs, that all the specs would be implemented as a CDI extension. Mm-hmm. So Java EE8 in part, part of uh, a, a little part of the expert group was refactoring mm-hmm. Java okay. EE8. And of course, it doesn't sell. You yeah. know, it doesn't sell. Yeah, because uh, because what, the problem is the problem is uh, the you know it is it was good enough. So you tell you know the whitefly. It was for me. I always picked you know the full whitefly. I never played with the web yeah. profile or never with a thumbnail because it was fast enough. But what's interesting, what you told me that the uh, whitefly was a little bit slow. Was back then Spring no, no, no. faster? No, uh, what I was saying is uh, JBoss EAP was slower than uh, Wildfly Swarm, Thorntail. So that's why. Yeah, yeah. But when you, I, but you switch to Spring, but I, I would assume there should be no difference between Spring and Whitefly, right? In startup oh, time. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, if I move to Spring, is first of all, I was a little bit pissed off with the Java EE8 drama, and okay. I could see that the uh, refactoring was impossible. So mm-hmm. I. I, I stopped uh, uh, wasting energy on Java EE. Yeah. And, you know, plenty of customers were doing okay. Spring. Mm-hmm. So I thought, hey, you know, I know Java EE, you know, uh, let's learn something new because I wasn't a very, very big Spring uh, user. A yeah. lot of people were doing Springs. They were talking Spring all over. I knew a little bit about Spring, but not too much. Um, and, and then that's when I, I moved uh, with Spring, not because of Love and passion, more because I was disappointed with Java EE, and the the industry was doing Spring, and I thought, well, let's learn something new. Everybody talks about it. F- funny fact: I never actually started a Spring project yet. So I uh, I actually I only in one time uh, someone asked me for Java EE review and they didn't knew that they're using Spring. So I got the Spring project, and. Um, and then uh, help them, you know, to uh, there were some memory issues, but which were not which were not caused by Spring. This was how they developed the application. So I helped them from Java perspective. So this is how I saw, you know, production Spring code. And um, in another semi funny story was recently last year or uh, two years ago was, was Spring Boot. Uh, they also asked me for a review, and for me it looked great. So it was a uh, lean and pragmatic so it was uh, no no interfaces and uh, mappers it was just straight to the point and i say yeah from 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 my perspective it looks actually good and they say okay but we are going away from spring anyway it's like why because i i mean for, for 
just keep spraying it. It looks nice. And the problem was, which was I, I never, I never actually until then found that this is the the true difference between MicroProfile Java E and Spring. What they told me is they are using uh, Spring Boot one four two or something. And they found uh, security problems there. So the security scanning didn't work and they had to migrate. This was not a problem. It was a political problem or how to call it a process problem. And they couldn't upgrade to the newest version. So they had to upgrade the application twice. So from 1.4 to 1.5 and from 1.5 to 2 something. I forgot actually the version. And this was the official path. And they told me this is too expensive. And I say, okay, if you have to do it, then do it. But from code perspective, it looks actually nice. And and then I thought about that. We actually, I never had to do this with Java E. So we could migrate, you know, servers back and forth. We upgraded, uh, I also learned this the hard way. I remember WebLogic 5 or 6. They had so-called file service. So you could, you could access from WebLogic officially uh, file storage. And they just removed that without any notice in in WebLogic 7 or 8 and we called BA back then hey our application doesn't run again yeah, because it didn't use you know the official APIs so this is a lesson I learned you know so since then API is always good so proprietary stuff always a little bit problematic and we never had the problem since then really uh, in Java E microprofile of my world and for me it was it was actually I, I was really stunned that uh, that there is no APIs. I thought, you know, that, that they are using the Spring Boot API and not relying directly on the on the frameworks. But this was different world, right? Yeah, but you are talking about the code, which is true. But I I went some few customers who, you know, went from JBoss six to JBoss seven to JBoss, and so migrating the runtime. Uh, also, I I have some experiences where the customer spends wastes sometimes months in upgrading uh, runtime you know or yeah. moving from because it's true that uh, jboss 6 well didn't really exist so moving from jboss 5 to jboss 7 was a big step in terms of code if you follow the the apis it worked but of course there was a lot of applications you know, embedding spring. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But external the, things. To give you the very simple example, if you have in Glassish project what many projects did, they use you know the Comsan Jersey uh, dependency. And if you upgraded Glassfish, uh, the dependency was no more there. But this exactly. is, of course, but this was not. This is like then you just this is no more Java E uh, using Glassfish yeah, straight, yeah. right? This yeah, is yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, but this was uh, experience. So, uh, next question because uh, you use Spring. In, in a typical Spring project, how much of Java E is used there? So is this like they're using completely you know, different stack or, or they, 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 they are tend to use you know, the Java E API stuff? It's really close to zero. And, and I have a story because... Um, I, I was... mean, JPA is not there? Yeah, JPA is there. It integrates bean validation, well Bean validation, JMS. Yeah, bean validation, JMS. Um, even if they use the JMS template on top of, J of JMS, but it's a nicer yeah. API compared to JMS 1.1. Yeah. Uh, it's nicer. But yeah, JPA, servlets, bin uh, validation, and so on. But and is at inject? I remember is at inject used at all? That that was one of the funny stories. I was I was in front of a bean, and I. It would implement something. I forgot the name of the interface. So you could do uh, logic before the bin is instantiated. Mm -hmm. Well, just after and before it's destruct. So I, 
I don't know. Okay. So I, I removed the interface and I, I, I annotated the, the, the method with post construct and pre destroy and it worked. Mm -hmm. And I went to see the rest of the team and say, well, you know, there's, uh, you know, pre pre construct uh, post construct and pre destroy and everybody was going oh i don't know i've never heard it it's really okay. it, you know it is really supported so we went to the spring dock and yes it was we decided not to use it because all the spring uh, de uh developers were implementing this interface but there was still auto wired here and at inject there and uh, one day, one guy did a re, uh, refactoring and removed all the at inject to at at you know auto wired, and that was the last Java E annotation I saw on this Spring project. You know how at inject happened? Of course you know, right? Who introduced at inject? Rod, uh, uh, Rod Johnson of Spring. Oh yes, yeah. This was no, thought... Rod Johnson and the crazy Bob Lee, both. I thought you were talking about the. Um... Again, the CDI drama. No, no, no. So, um, no, okay, so you spent. Bobby uh, was the. Yeah, the crazy, crazy Bob Lee Bob and Rod Johnson. They can. Yeah. Okay, exactly. Because this add inject came afterwards. Java yeah. 6 had the uh, injection. No, in, out, and. Uh, that was weld. Um, in, out, and. Yeah. No, yeah. it was Java 6 and they uh, dropped everything. Sim, sim. Sim. Sim, sim. In, out, and uh, there was a bijection and both. Yeah. And yeah. then. <clears throat> They ditched everything with at inject from Spring, actually. So at the beginning of Java 6, this was Spring compatible, and then Spring moved to AutoWired, which is fun itself. Um, but, but you know, the Java EE8 drama, there was... Uh, Java 6, this, Java 6, Java yeah, 6, what is, yeah. There was um, the CDI drama, too, because when Java EE6 came, there was CDI 1.0. Mm -hmm. uh, the spec lead was Gavin King. Yeah. And it was an entire drama. And then before releasing Java EE6, uh, which got late because of that, uh, Crazy Bob, uh, Rod Johnson, and forgot who, uh, actually did a fork yeah. of CDI and said, well, we are going to take a singleton, at inject, yeah. uh, forgot what. Producers, to, yeah. Yeah. To, no, pro producers not. There's five annotations on, on the at inject. So the JSR, I forgot the name. 330, I think. 330, 330, I think. And CDI on the other side. But the Java E6 story was a CDI 1.0 going uh, you know, on its own, nearly ready to be published. And there was this fork saying, no, 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 the at inject goes this way mm -hmm. um, and the CDI stays the other way. That's why uh, Spring implements at inject, Juice implements at inject, but not the rest of CDI. And yeah. to be honest, uh, most of the Spring uh, de uh, developers use Auto Wired. Yes. Yeah. So this, this is this is this is this is what's what is really strange because they they didn't use their own annotations. No. no. Um, so it was a bit of you know uh, you know again a political exactly. rather than technical issue. Exactly. So um, but you found Quarkus somehow. How you? What was your road to Quarkus from Spring? My road to Quarkus was quite interesting because um, I was at the time where we could physically meet. I was, uh, you know, organizing Voxed uh, microservices, so mm -hmm. a two a two days conference 
on um, on on microservices, and Graham Roche came to talk about Micronote, mm-hmm. and I was wow, I love that. Mm-hmm. So I was doing Spring. I moved into a Micronote, and I was whoa, that's mm-hmm. refreshing. Graal VM was at the beginning of it. You know, it, it was really something new and refreshing and everything. Emmanuel Bernard was sitting next to me, and he didn't say a single word. Um, a few months later, he announced Quarkus at uh, DevOps France. Mm-hmm. So that was six months after. And I was like, okay. And because Emmanuel is a friend, I was having a beer with him and said, what, what, when, how, who? And he said, well, um, we started working on Quarkus months before Vox uh, uh, microservice. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting next to you in the same room, listening to Graham Roche. And I was shaving because I was, he was talking about a framework that, you know, Emmanuel didn't know. And this framework was exactly what Quarkus was doing, but I couldn't talk about it. It was mm-hmm. still, um, a, you know, a secret pro- project within Red Hat. So Emmanuel, for months, was in this state where he could see Micronote. Mm-hmm. He was still working on this pet pro- uh, project called Quarkus, and he had the right to announce it months later. And so I was playing with my uh, Micronote and Quarkus came and I thought, hey, that works the same way as Micronote, but it uses Java EE APIs and MicroProfile APIs. Okay. So again, throughout my uh, my, uh, my career, um, like you, I mostly did one thing because yeah. these APIs are portable. Yeah. Then came Spring and I and I learned something new. Then came uh, Micronote, and I learned something new. But with Quarkus, it was, I can reuse my skills. You know, it, it's fantastic. So, you know, I proposed Emmanuel Bernard and Clément Escoffier to do a one-day workshop uh, on Quarkus at Vox uh, Microservice last year. So we did a one-day workshop. Um, and, and, and then I started to get involved more and more on Quarkus. I did a proof of concept for one customer on Quarkus. And then the lockdown came. I stayed locked down at home with two babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst time ever in my life. And um, so to not depress, I thought, what am I going to do? Write a book. Okay. So, so um, thanks to the lockdown, uh, you have two books now available freely on Quarkus. Understanding Quarkus and practicing Quarkus. And it's just the, my very young history on Quarkus, which I discovered it. I, re- I realized that I could reuse my skills. Um, I started to play with it. I then did a proof of concept with it at a customer. And then I got locked down. And uh, against depression, I decided to write a book on it. How so to get your books? Download from your page, website, or how to get them? No. Uh, so we did a partnership with Red Hat. So mm-hmm. at the moment, they are on the Red Hat developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go there, you look for pro- practicing Quarkus and, uh, and understanding Quarkus and you just click on the link and then on so they have uh, the deal is they sponsored it they have it uh, for free on their platform for six months and then they will keep it but I will also take the book back so 
from April, it will be on, on my page and on my brain. But now at the moment, I, I gave it to Red Hat okay. only. Now I'm curious, what was the most impressive feature from Quarkus? So if you uh, if you started with Quarkus, you knew immediately there's something interesting or what's impressed you the most? Of course, I would not jump into something just for the Java EE APIs, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. they implement yeah, Java yeah. EE, great. Yeah. No, what really impressed me was the startup time and the hot reload, which is way better than Spring Boot. Mm -hmm. uh, so as a developer, I thought, well, you know, that's quite easy. Now, when I use Quarkus, sometimes I type code, I do a typo, you know, I forget a coma or whatever. And and because it, it reloads quickly, I go, why it's not working? Mm -hmm. Because my code is not even compiling. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm just there on the IDE and trying stuff. And sometimes my code doesn't even compile because I did a mistake. So that's how fast it goes, how fast it reloads and recompiles everything. So uh, on a development point of view, it's really nice. Uh, so I think it was the startup time and what they call the developer joy. Mm -hmm. And then if you are an oldie like me, you remember compiling your Java class with uh, Java C class path and you mm -hmm. put a huge list of jars mm -hmm. and you compile the code and it's painful. Then Maven came along. So when GraalVM arrived, I was doing the same thing, yeah. compiling code. You know, I was trying to do Hello Worlds with GraalVM, yeah, and yeah. it was just a pain, a nightmare. Quarkus, you just go, you know. You minus P one, native. Yeah. yeah, minus P native, and it works. And I was like, wow, same thing for Docker, same mm. thing for Minikube. And I was really, hey, I can reuse my very old skill. It still works uh, at transactional works, at path works, yeah, yeah. at entity works. But in a development point of view, it's much nicer and faster. Um, and I have all the brand new tools, Graal, VM, Docker, Kubernetes, easily. And I don't have to struggle. So as Emmanuel uh, Bernard always says in his talks, Quarkus is two years old, but you already have 10 years of experience out of it. Yeah, that's really true. Um, also funny, because uh, my, my uh, how do you call it, excitement about Quarkus was uh, completely different. Uh, uh, Red Hat pinged me, uh, or pinged me, I had a chat with a Red Hat engineer, and they told me, okay, something new on the horizon. So, and I told him, I'm completely not interested because I already saw, you know, this Whitefly Swarm and this was not a huge improvement and Thorntail, probably you, you renamed Thorntail to Microtail or whatever and and, 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 and then Quarkus arrived and I said, okay, this is actually one of my, my uh, first videos, uh, YouTube videos, happened a little bit later. So I was curious what happens behind the scenes, so why it is so hot. So what happens behind the scenes? So I de deactivated all the plugins and tried to, to understand what's going on there. And what I noticed back then, and this was for me like, you know, the, the absolute moment is, um, you know, the, all the microservices with Whitefly, what I actually did all the years, I had one application server and one war, and this uh, this was the my microservice, right? So in the, um, the, the Whitefly, I know I had to scan the folder, find the war, and, uh, and, and did do some reflection and, 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 and stuff like that, and read the deployment descriptors. And for me, it was not a big deal because Whitefly for me was fast enough. And, or, or Glassfish or Payara, I did Open Liberty, I use actually all these servers. And uh, what, what I found out that the Quarkus does that at build time. Yeah. If I understood that, I, I say, okay, this is the future. 
because yeah. because this is the same story as it was before. But I mean, this is the genius what they did. They found out that they can do it at build time, yeah. because yeah. then at runtime. There is no, no, no reflection, no deployment of crypto parsing, and for me Everything it was. It, and now, uh, for me, it means you cannot optimize a lot anymore, because this is, you know, the ultimate application. A simple class loading, no reflection. It cannot be any faster than this. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and for me, it's okay. This is not the future because not a huge difference from the API perspective. Yeah. But this is the next generation. I mean, this is incredible. And yeah. this is how I from then I was I was I was hooked on Corcus because yeah. I said okay this is not like micro optimization with Thorntail this is a complete new story right yeah I I haven't you know I have moved from Spring Boot now for for a year a year and a half I don't know what where they are anymore but if you look at Spring and Java EE they do exactly the same thing as you say yeah. uh, you deploy a WA or a jar you know when Spring arrived with the um, make jar not war, uh, yeah. which was quite funny. But uh, you know, at the end of it, you start something, and the runtime starts. It respects, introspects everything, creates proxies, configures yeah. stuff. You know, it takes a huge amount of time, and then answers exactly. back, "I'm ready." And same thing when I discovered technically how Quarkus does it the other way around. Yeah, the runtime when you start, well, everything has been compiled and you know the proxy is done and the, yeah. you know everything is it's like wow yeah same thing i was this wow moment going it's not a, a spring competitor it's not um i do exactly what java ee or spring does but better no no exactly. i do something different for me it is like you know what the application service did with java ee and now really inverted yeah, because the very, very first um, versions of Java EE, there was, you know, the EJB2, uh, yeah. the famous e e EJB2. The, uh, you had to write your interfaces. You had to write your stubs. You had to write... Of course, there was a bit of reflection. Nee, nee, cetera, this is what I mean. What I mean is uh, application server were built to host multiple wars. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, and yeah. therefore, they are so complicated, you know. And yeah. the Quark would say, what if there's only one? Yeah. And if there is only one, we can optimize everything in different way. So yeah. this is you know the this is really the consequent refactoring for clouds or for single how to call it single process microservice actually, right? Or yeah. Spring Spring also did that. You know, Spring Boot was about one jar, one application. Um but yeah, Quarkus took it way further with this build time versus runtime mm -hmm. uh, where everything is shipped instead of having a long um, uh, runtime, well, a short build time and a long runtime like mm -hmm. Java EE or Spring, they just move things. So at compile time, they do everything and then it's ready to start. Yeah. Another interesting runtime you should look at this is Helidon, actually. I don't know whether you had the opportunity to look at this. So I evaluated this a little bit. It's similar to Quarkus, but interestingly, differently. For instance, what they are doing, if you are running Helidon, they include the entire microprofile. So this is not like they have extensions. This is and and they focus more on the ultimate performance. So they have you no, know, uh, they everything is too reactive and they working on the and and this is interesting. I also chat with the engineers. I use also Helidon not in projects. Corcus I use in production and Helidon just evaluation. Really interesting. And they have two modes: micro profile and Java SE mode. 
And from the beginning, what the Inhalidon, the main difference in Quarkus is at the beginning, Quarkus was really hard to run it in from command line interface because it started. Yeah. And Helidon from the beginning was a library. So you've wrote, you've wrote your main method and then you can launch Helidon. So what's really what I like in both, they don't try to copy each other. So Helidon has complete different philosophy. It's also very fast, very small, also the same Graal VM experience, but uh, it's complete different in details, which I really appreciate. Not, not like copycats back and forth. So if you can take a look at Helidon and what Helidon has, yeah. has right now, command line interface, so there's a, a grapple. So you can say uh, Helidon create and create. You know this is what uh, Quarkus will also get in in now or you know in 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 um, re, in, in future. But uh, but uh, Helidon already has it, and and they created this with Gralvium. So you can you can download a Go like library and say Helidon create or in it. I think in it, and they have it. So take a look at this because oh, okay. it's co okay. complete complete yep. different take and you can e also easily move between Quarkus and Helidon back and forth because both are micro profile in Java E based mm. right yeah use the same APIs and uh, for you particularly interesting because uh, if you have weblogic license there are some clients who have this still you can migrate for Helidon and get Helidon support from Oracle Oh, okay. Okay. So this is interesting point. If you have old, yep. you know, web logic stuff, you can migrate uh, to Helidon in political correct way. I would say. Yeah. yeah. I suppose that's also what's going to happen in the Red Hat. Uh, you know, customers who use JBoss EAP, maybe they will get. You know, I don't know how it's going to work in the future, but maybe they could get support for Quarkus or something like that. Yeah, interesting times, you know. Yeah, perfect. We've seen, uh, we've seen the Java dying every five years. We've seen the death of Java EE every couple of years. Yeah. Still, still there and still reinventing themselves. Yeah. So uh, we can summarize, you know, now our podcast. So we learned 20 years ago an API, right? And try not to forget that. And now we just know it just replaced the runtimes uh, back and forth. And yeah. now, now we're still happy. And perfect. APIs haven't moved and changed slowly yeah yeah perfect and it's still uh, fun antonio where people can find you on the internet do you have a twitter blog yeah you can find me on twitter a goncal a g o n c a l um i have a blog where sometimes less and less but i like to um you know uh, post technical mm -hmm. articles and i'm thinking now or maybe doing you know how it's fashionable and everybody's locked down at home doing some uh youtube uh, videos like you do yeah uh, just on quarkus short things yeah you know because uh, sometimes it's easier to like you do just be in front of the id and types of code rather than writing yeah. a long article a, uh, so yeah. i think because i see that writing articles take a lot of time yeah. i write books so then i have to write articles and i was thinking of uh, maybe i'll do like you short things about quarkus how to do this how to do this how to do that so maybe one day you'll find me on youtube but now just ping me on uh, twitter if you Perfect. want to say hello yeah i would, would like to invite you back this year so we can chat you know uh, about uh, Quarkus and whatever and uh, and i hope we will see each other in devops belgium in november 2021 yeah because uh, java one is no more there so right no. so uh, this is the the devops is the official success i would say right from and i would think in devops by november this bloody virus would have moved on java was always virus free more or less right so i mean <laughs> we are not that impacted i would say <laughs> okay thank you Thank you, Adam. It's always a pleasure to, to talk to you. Bye. Bye.